wow, you guys are in for a treat. Like this person is a light in the universe, a bright light in the universe. And this conversation, I didn't want to stop. In fact, (laughs) after we did stop, it went on for another 10, 12 minutes. And we're sorry you don't get to hear that, but it's, you know, that's the way it goes. Yeah. Um, You know what I love is you had mentioned a hesitation when we were thinking of booking her um, because you're like, well, I'm not a parent. You're a parent. What, you know, relevance will this have? But as you just said, it was very relevant conversation. Yeah. And her book, Secrets to Parenting Without Giving a Fuck, is like the great starting point for the book or for the the interview, uh, the podcast. And it just goes from there and it gets better and better as she she reveals so much about her life experience and how she sees the world. And oh, I just feel so much better after having talked to her. And I'm sure that you all will, too. Before we go, don't forget to go to our website and look at our merchandise to hit the subscribe or like button and to leave us a review on, on the Apple um, or whatever podcast review place that you do. It really helps us grow this. And Greg and I are going to commit to doing this for a long time. And we want to get to higher levels of people because we want them to share in the love and the joy. So thank you for listening. Enjoy Sue Donald and she's amazing. And uh, reach out if you need anything. Two outlaws on the lamb, taking the back roads through America. You can't drink enough coffee for this show. And now it's time for Monday Madness with the Moped Outlaws, Greg and Mark. All right, you are here for episode two of season four of Moped Outlaws, and we have special guest Sue Donnellan, who is a parent who just doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> well, I think um, you do. I bet you do give so, a fuck. But Well, that's what I'm wondering. What does not giving a fuck mean to you? Uh, it, it means a lot. And you know what, Mark, you were exactly right. I give very, very much of a fuck. And in the book, you know, I explain that. But as a parent, as a reluctant parent of four kids who three came at one time, um, and parenting these kids and seeing how, oh, you're so needed for, for a bit of time. And then you kind of have to pull away and allow these people to make their own choices and to be accountable for their actions. And that when you're getting pushback and bad behavior from kids as early as even six months, where they were trying to control not getting in their crib, um, you start to see that, you know, you have to, you have to, uh, let go of control to gain control. Uh, and that letting go process was very, um, insightful for me to see, take four little individuals, four independent people and invest in them as people. And to do that means really kind of letting go of my ego, letting go of my preconceived thoughts and just getting to a point of not giving a fuck in a real healthy way. Um, in a productive and accountability way. And it's just, I use the word often and don't really care. (laughs) I wasn't one of those kids. I just told my kids, you know, Hey, it's an adult word. You can use it when you're an adult. So that's just my vernacular. And, um, 
So uh, tell us so, a little bit about how what this book is, because we before we get too deep in, let's just know this comes from a book you wrote. Yes, right. Uh, I am a, a business owner, so I have unrelated two other unrelated businesses. Um, but again, getting kind of thrown into the deep end of parenting from one to four kids, you know, overnight, four kids under four. Um, I. I started just kind of seeing how other parents were parenting, how kids were reacting, um, how parents either weren't investing in their kids in the emotional ways, but maybe investing, throwing money at a problem or whatever. I just saw a variety of things happening. And by the time my kids got to be teenagers, I just realized oh, I was mentoring kid, parents from early on because we were getting compliments on the kids. And I, I started doing it on the side and for free for friends and friends of friends. And it turned into kind of like a side gig for me. So taking all of that, you know, into the teen years, I started to just realize I need to get a book out there. I really wanted to share and help. If you go through an experience, you kind of feel called to share it with others and help others so they can sort of that's I think that's kind of our job in life, right? Like to to gain insights and to gain wisdom and then get to a point in life where you feel like you want to share that and help others. And that was my answer to that was the book. Uh just you know, going through all of that um that drama and stress and uh why why it shouldn't be for naught, right? I mean it produced four great independent kids, but it also can be there to help others. And so I'm still mentoring. I'm still doing all of that. And most of the time I actually kind of do it for free. I don't, <laughs> you know, when you really believe in something, um, yeah, it's not just about money. yeah. So the book's titled secrets to parenting without giving a fuck, which is why we started there. And, and now I just, now that we got the audience back up to speed on, on the book and, and what it means to you, I feel like we're centered again in the conversation. Um, <laughs> I needed that. I I know I can tell. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so did you actually have a practice where you charged other parents for stuff? I or? have had yes, I I've I mentor parents and yes, I've been paid. Um but again, I do have my focus on some of my other businesses that are unrelated where the, those are my, my income earners. Um, so these days, if I'm not really promoting the mentoring service actively, um, I find myself, I just went to a breakfast yesterday where I was able to help a mom and, you know, talked with another mom last night that was going through some troubles with one of her teens. And uh, these are local moms. So I'm just like, let's go grab a bite and chat and see how we can help. You know, how I can is that, help. Yeah. Is that like God sends you who needs you? I think so. Yeah. There are no coincidences, right? Uh, yeah. Because the one mom that I was mentoring yesterday, I met, she was the real estate agent for my son who just bought his first house and her and I met and connected and one thing led to the other. So yeah, it, it's really fulfilling for me. And um, I got a really great follow-up text this morning from her about, some follow-up conversations and it just feels great. So I'm, I'm happy to help. I'm wondering, it sounds like a part of what you um, learned was to give autonomy to your children. So they're their own individuals and part of that's accountability, but you're also a military wife and my na naive Mindset is the military is very much our way or the highway. Uh, well, being the wife means that I'm, you know, 
productively divorced from that mentality. My husband and I joke because I'm, when we met in college, I was taking steps to leave after I worked in the corporate world for a while to leave corporate, to become my own boss, because I never met a rule. I didn't want to break. (laughs) And at that time, my husband was going into training and getting into the really regimented and actually caused me some pause to decide if this, is this what I want in my life? Like, is this, am am I okay with this? And yes, I'm very much okay with it. 30 years later. um, But so he's, he's signed on to that lifestyle. He, he knows the regulations and the rules and he abides by that. I, on the other hand, when I go to events with him, need a handler because (laughs) we never know what I might say. But um, so I, I don't mean being married to a military guy really, is mentioned more because that I was alone parenting for quite a bit um, in the early years. And so it was like four kids under four husband deployed to, to combat. Um, and, and it meant him being gone and it meant long hours for him and me trying to identify with other moms and many single moms or dads. I do mentor a lot of guys actually. And that's the, one of the men that I mentor is the one that came up with my, my book title. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, uh, it's, it's so the being married to the military guy is really more of a of a conversation about partnering with him and supporting his goals and just being very much partners at home as well but just that early on there was you know summers alone and months alone uh and you know him facing danger and having to parent through that so how has he appreciated your propensity to break rules and supported you as an individual? Well, we are one of those rare soulmate happy couples. Um, We are very compatible while different in those ways, but also very compatible. He respects me completely and utterly and gets a kick out of, you know, how I, how I think, but also it does and has our conversations have informed him on his leadership roles and how he leads. Um, So it's been kind of fun that the two of us can kind of reconvene and talk about our days and, inform one another where I can kind of tighten up and he can loosen up and, <laughs> and it benefits everybody. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I kind of set the tone and the culture for the home with the kids and it was a little bit more freewheeling than it probably would have been if he were at home full time. Uh, but it's, it's worked out. It's been, it's been good. I think that was the nature of Greg's earlier question, which was how does that seeming incongruity benefit the kids? Like one theoretical Mm -hmm. way of doing it is we have to protect them and make sure everything's done right and regimented and very linear thinking. And then what you just described is what's more open-ended, but it still had a powerful result in the way that your kids you know, turned out in the way that they run their lives. So I'm wondering if you could just deepen a little bit into the balance there. I can give you an interesting example that I know my husband would not mind me sharing. Um, So with our oldest, our oldest is a lot like me and never met a really didn't want to break. He was like, you know, trying to figure out, you know, got caught cheating in school and this and that. And anyway, he was really not doing well in, um, in algebra. I think freshman, sophomore year. And my husband was on him, on him, on him. Well, you know, he felt, and this is what happens with parenting in the teen years. And I love, love the teen years because I love showing parents how much better it is that again, when you want more control, you have to let go of control. And it's a beautiful way. Kids, teenagers respond quickly. Um, 
so as our son was, I don't know what, 14, 15, however old he was, I started really kind of letting him figure it out. My husband started clamping down and he started, well, you, you need to get in early. I'm going to take you in early. You need to meet with the teacher. You need to just this whole fear, this fear of if he doesn't get this algebra, if he doesn't get this grade up and all of this. And I, and then he was coming home from work and going up to his room, opening the door. That's a private space. I don't, I'm not about any of that. Um, and going in and, you know, where's your homework? Let me read just on him. And my son was really just digging in and just, it was, it was, it became my son's goal to avoid dad and to shut down that control mechanism than it was to get his grades up. He didn't care. You know, you can't get through to a 14, 15 year old boy that why do I even need this information? So I, I let it kind of play out for a week or so. And then I just sat down with my husband and said, look, can we just try something different? Can you just back off? Can you just let it go and just, you know, disengage the grades are theirs. They are the ones that will have the consequence. And as it turns out, my older son wanted to be a fighter pilot and he actually is now. Um, but that was a goal. That was a carrot. That was a dangled carrot. And my husband's a fighter pilot as well. And so long story short, um, my husband decided to try something radically different, which was letting go. And no joke, within a week or so, um, our son started going in and, you know, hey, can you take me in on your way to work and want to go in early and get the grades up? And it, it's really remarkable to see how letting go, especially at that age, the, the, when you're, when they're young, they're so dependent on us to be involved and to be solving problems. Then there's this pulling away period and it happens at different ages for every child. But, um, your kid's going to tell you when your kid starts digging in and their eyes glaze over and they push back, our ego wants to go, I'm in charge. And that's why in my book, the whole first half of my book is about the relationship with yourself, letting go of control, letting go of ego, you know, guilt is a wasted emotion. And then the second half is all the things that we learned in the first half. How do we take that into the second half and create a better relationship with the child? Uh, and so it, it worked. And my husband does, you know, publicly commend that she, her advice really helped me create and establish a better relationship with my son at that point. And he saw how it worked. Um, and again, my son, was a lot like me. So I knew I could look at him and read like, I know how I'd be thinking if when my mom, well, my mom did do that to me. I was micromanaged and grounded and um, <laughs> yeah. So I, I knew what not to do. You know, my mom's an awesome mom, but like, you know, you have to deep dive and go where to, what, what am I bringing to this relationship? What, what baggage did I have? Sit with yourself, look in the mirror and go, what, why did I lie to her all the time? Oh, lying is a form of control. The only control I had was to lie. Um, why? Because I was in a restricted environment, blah, 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 blah. So uh, anyway, that, so that's an example of how, you know, the regiment and the, and the freewheeling, you know, big picture leap in the net will appear entrepreneurialism mentality that I have. <laughs> they kind of come together to benefit the kids. So do you think that your husband's initiatory week of being hard and like going like, this is what we need to do, blah, 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 blah. Do you think that was a necessary component of what happened when the surrender occurred? Or do you sure. think? Yeah, I love that. I love that idea. Absolutely. Because, you know, if life is always great, you know, we don't have any, we're not brushing up against anything difficult and we're not learning lessons and we're not, you know, so maybe our oldest 
was seeing I'm wasting so much time fighting dad. And then when that fight goes away, now he was given a chance to develop his own initiative. And my husband was able to learn. And, you know, and many times my husband has benefited me by, by tightening up my way of thinking. And, um, Yes, they both go hand in hand, but both of us have to come to the table and go, you know, with respect and love, we both realize what the other brings to the table. And I think that that collaboration is an important component of our relationship and of any relationship. Um, (laughs) it, It seems in my experience that a lot of parents attach their identity, who they are, to their children. So, like, if my child's failing school, I'm failing school. Have oh, sure. you found that to be real? It's ego, for sure. And then we all, if we have unrealized dreams, like we wanted to be a doctor or a lawyer, you know, whatever we wanted to be, and we have them unrealized, we take all that anxiety and angst and fear and all of that and attach it to these little beings. And it's so... I don't know, addictive because when they're little, they're just lapping up everything we say and do. Uh, and I do spend a lot of time talking to parents about, you know, the culture of the home and leadership and we, and leaders are not meant to be, you know, leaders lead, you know, we, we need to be role models and we need to, to show by example. Uh, but we have to, we, we can't be in a controlling environment. None of us wants a boss breathing over our neck and telling us, we just, we want to know the goals. We want to know what the objective is, but we don't want to be told how we're going to get there. And so parenting is certainly a lot of really putting that mirror on yourself and understanding yourself and how, you know, and, and how when your kids respond to you, parents think that bad behavior and some, some cases bad behavior is just needs course correction. But a lot of times if you're listening, um, your kids will tell you, you know, your kids will tell my, my oldest, and that's how I really learned to stop yelling. I was again, reluctant parent yelling all the time, do it because I said, and be happy. I asked <laughs> and um, type a, you know, uh, my son just would glaze over at me and I'm like, how do I get through this kid? And I had to kind of really sit with myself and figure out how to get through. Could you say a little bit about your style of parenting over the course of your children's lives as relates to what we now call emotional intelligence? Did you encourage the male and female children in your life to talk about their feelings and was there language and, and demonstrations of what it was like to share emotions in the family unit? I am um, long before all this talk about, you know, roles and sex and all of this. I've (laughs) always said I'm a man in a woman's body, you know, long before all this other talk going on. And and I say that because I I'm I'm really not emotion driven as a woman. I'm just not. And uh, so therefore, I can't say that I made it a priority to talk about feelings. However, I'm about honesty and I have told the kids, you know, it it was pretty much just expected that whatever the truth was, whatever your truth was, was fact and real. So I kind of came at it from a different perspective. Um, And I always told the kids, guys, like, if you're lying to me, that's my fault. Because if you're lying to me, that means I haven't created a relationship of trust enough to where you feel like I can handle the truth. So when we talk about feelings, I kind of came at it from a, I guess a different way of, of saying, you know, I, I don't really need to be making a big conversation about talking about feelings because feelings are just your fact. 
So let's just get that out there. We don't need to be talking about talking about it. Let's just, let's just connect. And I tend to be intuitive, spiritual, and really help the kids connect with that. So I came at it from that perspective of um, connect with your gut. I have a chapter on that connecting with your, with your gut, your gut, you know, listening to your instincts, getting kind of connected with who you are, how you feel. Um, so I didn't, I didn't make it like, Oh, let's talk about our feelings. Um, I made it more, what's your truth and how do we connect with that? Um, and it was always accepted and taken at face value and discussed openly. And to this day now, whether we want to hear it or not, we all speak truth to each other, you know, whatever it is, <laughs> whether it's positive or you know uncomfortable to hear, but that's how we are in the family. All of us are brutally honest and, you know, it's all for good. So when you say brutally honest, um, is there one of your children that challenges you and again, I want to commend you. Like, I appreciate you taking responsibility for the environment you're in. In other words, when you said, if the child's lying to me, that's my responsibility. I love that. So if, do any of your four children challenge you? Like, they need that emotional connection, and they're calling you into a place that isn't your natural, like where you go comfortably. Uh, you know, it, there were different phases of life where emotional needs were higher than other times. And I can give an example. So, of course, you know, I've got three boys and a girl. So naturally, the boys aren't real emotional. You know, my daughter isn't really either, but she, she is more now. And um, one, so my oldest typical like, football playing guy, guy's guy, you know, um, well, he was about 12 and going through all the hormones, you know, where the armpits smell like onions and, you know, we're emotional and we don't know why. And I remember one time him just throwing himself down on the ground <clears throat> and going, I don't know why I'm crying. <laughs> and, um, I just walked over and said, buddy, you're going through adolescence. That's normal. That's just hormones. So I didn't meet emotion with emotion. I met emotion with leadership and understanding and fact and just you're crying because that's what you do at 12. Like it, it goes away. Don't worry about it. Cause I saw him going, I don't know why I'm crying. I'm like, why this isn't me. I'm, I'm not myself. And I'm like, that's okay. It's going to pass. You know, give yourself some time. It's emotions. It's hormones. Your armpits smell like, I like, I love humor. You know, your armpits smell like onions. It's all going to go away. Don't worry about it. So that's just one example of like, at different ages and different phases. Um, certainly if there was a breakup with a girlfriend or whatever, you know, we were all hovered around, gave a hug and, and, but then, okay, we're, we're going to wallow in this for a minute and then we're going to march on. So yeah. I didn't really put a lot of time into deep diving it because what is, what, what where's that leading us We acknowledge it, but, you know, yeah, it doesn't sound like you shamed it either, which is the oh, key. No. Oh, yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. No. Would you say that your husband's 
potential, like there's masculine feminine energies that we often move through or occupy. We're not defined by them all the time necessarily. Do you say that he has a balance? Was Is there a feminine aspect of him, a softer yes. aspect of him? Yeah, 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 you know, and opposites attract, we joke. He He's um, the snuggler, the hugger, the um, I love you all the time. Like he's, you know, he's a fighter pilot, man's man type of, you know, from society, right? But yet at the same time, so family oriented, tender hearted, loving. Um, and I'm really not, you know, so like we joke, like if, if he was with a woman who was very much the same, like, I don't know. He might've been like, eh, you're needy. You know, I don't know. I don't know. But right. we are, we do make up for that. We, we joke about how we're both, you know, the Got it. opposite. And we, we, we make up for what the other isn't. So yeah. You're complimentary. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, it's, it works great. We're very lucky. And how long before you guys are empty nesters? Well, we pretty much are, but we've got, so we've got a 25 year old who just went through all the training and bought a house, but he's local here. And then the, the triplets are at various stages. They've all graduated college of one starting a master's one wants to go to law school and the other one's moving to New York to start his acting career. Um, everybody's and they they're home for a couple of months and then they're in that in between phase. So yeah. So have you two identified the next phase of your life, how like the new adventures that you're going to create together? Well, right now with his job, he's pretty much locked in for, you know, a little while. Um, and I'm really happy with the job that I have. We're, we're not looking to make any changes at this point, not imminently. We're, we're, we're happy with where we are. And, um, I, I don't, yeah, we, we take advantage of, you know, any travel or fun or whatever we want to do that just makes life happy. We're super fulfilled. Yeah. Can you talk about the role of humor in parenting and in relationships and, and, you know, where the line is with, with making fun or being fun? Uh, I, um, wouldn't call myself funny. My kids say that I am, but like, I'm not, my husband is hilarious. He makes me laugh every day. He's funny. He's witty. Um, I find that obviously very attractive. Humor is attractive in, in my, my perspective. Um, I love consuming humor. So I laugh at everything. I think I love humor and I love comedy and the more inappropriate, the better. I think it's great. Um, like we were saying earlier, I really can't be offended. Like I just, I, and my husband being fighter pilot, they have a, their own brand of humor, which I find awesome. So I think humor is super important. And if you have the ability or the skill to use it in a tense situation and you can diffuse a situation or neutralize a situation, um, I think it's really an important thing. And I, because I laugh easily, I don't get offended easily. And I think that was important with raising kids, especially three boys who don't need their mom taking things personally and sort of warping. You know, it's funny because I can see relationships where like we, we are hormonal be beings and we can take things. And there were times where I was hormonal and would be not offended, but like, pissed off about something, which it didn't happen often, but you know, a couple of days later, things calm down and you're like, ah, you know, wow, I really would have found that funny before, but I kind of overreacted or whatever. But I think humor is vital. So that, that leads me to this question. What was the rule around farting at the dining table? Oh. <laughs> um, 
do I want to out myself? <laughs> I think you just did. <laughs> uh, yeah, we we are all about it. It's hilarious. And without mentioning any names, some of us could could have made money creating an app with sounds. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. Yeah. No, farting club. Yeah. I, you know, and and I say, well, you had three boys, but even if I had four girls, like we that's that this is how it is. You know, I, I love having fun. I love, I'm not offended by any of that. It's funny. It's funny. All right. So if we, you, with the dark hair, do you like, do you like stand up? Like, do you watch stand up? Yeah, yeah, I love stand up. Do you know Anthony Jeselnik? Yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. That's, yeah. Uh, I, um, well, so back during COVID, what well, I love, um, Sebastian Maniscalco. I mean, like a lot of, I love, I mean, Tons of comedy. But anyway, I reached out to his wife during COVID when they were just kind of, and she wrote the forward in my book. Oh, wow. Did yeah. you have a connection with them? No, but I reached out to her. Um, she's an artist, an, an amazing artist, you know, a mom of two, and I love humor, and I, I'm a fan of his. But mom to mom, um, I reached out and connected with her, and we we she was kind enough to read my book and write the foreword, and we've become friendly. So she's awesome, and um but I just felt like it would be kind of a fun perspective because I am a fan of comedy to just have some type of connection. So yeah, we've become friendly since. One of the things that Greg and I struggle with is that we've become really aware of the way that cancel culture diminishes our life experience in the world and the range of humor. But we're also conscious of how we need to learn more about the way cultures have interacted over the past and the impacts of that and how different forms of that have taken shape in our society to create racist outcomes and things like that. And so I'm just at a marvel that we can realize that it's not that serious and that we can have the humor is so important to that conversation. It is. And what I like to say, and I do this, I say this all the time, especially to my daughter and especially to parents. And what I, my answer to cancel culture is stop attaching meaning to everything. Why are you attaching meaning to all? It doesn't mean anything. Just flow, relax, have some fun. And I think it really says more about this is why I wrote a parenting book. And, you know, you said it earlier about emotional intelligence and emotional needs. Um, we are not investing in emotional needs with our children. We are not addressing this. These kids are getting shuttled from home to home. Um, they're not, they're, 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 we're living in a surface way and the parents themselves are dealing with their own concerns and issues. And it's just being a snowball compounding. So we're taking all our baggage in and we're attaching it and we're creating more issues with the, with, with the kids. And we're not, we're not, it takes a big act of unselfishness to become a parent that does that, that, serves our children's emotional needs. And it doesn't matter if you're a single parent divorce. It doesn't matter. Own your stuff and look in the mirror and sit with yourself and ask yourself the hard questions. Get that straight before we start painting on a, a, a pure canvas, which is what our children are. Um, so, yeah. Have question. you worked with a diverse economic group of yeah. people? Oh, yeah. So do you, have you witnessed more of a challenge with people who have a lot of wealth and because part of what I keep hearing from you is great parenting comes from 
diving into a knowledge of self mm-hmm. and alleviating the areas of fear and holding on. Right. So have you witnessed greater challenge in, for people of economic means where, like you said earlier, they can throw money at a problem or they're used to that being the way to do it? You know, no, it's a pretty level playing field. Everybody is coming in with their own set of conditions that are hampering them from moving forward. So if you are a parent that thinks you can throw money at a problem, that's one set of concerns. If you are a parent that comes from lower means and you're working three jobs and you're just not available because you just can't do it, that's a whole nother set of issues. There's all sorts of things that we could, again, to attach meaning to. But honestly, when... I speak with these parents, no matter what their background is, I help them see that with kids sometimes, and this is real, all you really need is a couple uninterrupted minutes. I'm That sounds trite and meaningless, but I'm not kidding you. Phones down, this down, connecting, asking questions, listening, remembering. These are all free. It doesn't matter if you're rich or if you're, you know, very, very blue collar working again, three jobs. It doesn't matter what your subset of impediments are to toward raising a child that needs emotional you know, investment. Right. It matters that you look inside you, understand what is stopping you from investing in that child. And um, that's where I kind of help people sort of sort it out as to where, where do we go from here? doesn't matter where we were, where do we go from here? Because everybody can go to the next step and make a difference. Everybody can. How did you have effective conversations about sex with each of your four children? Um, well, Again, open, honest. Um, if you have not created a relationship of trust from five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, you cannot expect that they're going to give you credibility and respect at 12, 13, 14, 15. Okay. Number one. Number two, my conversation with my boys was different than the conversation with my daughter. I'm just a realist. Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, I'm a girl who met my husband in college and said, if you haven't had a couple one night stands, you're not going to appreciate what I bring to the table. And what I bring to the table is self-respect. So you know what, if you're looking to have your fun, I'm not your girl. I said this at 21 when I met him done, this is how it is. So my conversation with my daughter, and this is really lacking in girls today is self-confidence, independence. Um, and so my, 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 my quote to her, which really worked. And this just came off the cuff was you only have one to give. Are you going to waste it on a high school jump? Like, really? You only have one to give. You're in charge. You're in charge of what you do. I'm not saying wait till marriage. I'm not saying all of these things. That's unrealistic. Um, But I am saying shore yourself up and you be in charge. You connect with how you feel. And is this guy worth it? Because you don't want regrets. That's that conversation with the boys. Hey, you know, birth control, um, don't let somebody tell you they're on the pill. They're going to try to trap you if they come from a bad, like, you know, these types of things. You're in charge of wrapping it up. You're in charge of all of these things. Like that they're, they're different conversations of the same sort of topic though, you know, about self empowerment, self decision-making the buck stops with you. What are you in charge of? You're in charge of you. 
don't, you know, those, those are the types of conversations. And I had those early on. Uh, if a child asks you a question, like where do babies come from? They're ready for the right answer. Right. Yeah. Um, so I kind of felt that way with, with all of the conversations and built that level of trust and openness from early on. And that served me well that when I spoke later, they knew and I have a whole chapter on how to get your kids to tell you everything. And part of that is brand yourself as unshockable because teens think that they're going to shock you with <laughs> life. And you're like, bro, like, no, nah. so, but if you're going, Oh, you know, Oh my God, if you're doing this type of stuff, your kid doesn't trust you. Like mom can't handle it. Um, so early on I was like rolling with it. Like what, you know, what's the truth? What, what, what are we dealing with here? And, um, they built that trust. They knew they could trust me. They knew they were going to get my honest answer, but they also knew that they would be making their own choices from there. Have, you, all found, wait, have you found ways for an individual who did not build that trust at an early age and suddenly they have a teenager and a volatile explosive environment can they? Yes. Yes. And I love that. That's my favorite. I love dealing with parents of teens because you're going to go through this period of suspiciousness where they're like, you know, I don't know what mom, I, I don't trust mom to be really real or dad, you know, to be really being cool about this or being understanding or being a partner with me about this. And all it takes is a couple of times of consistency. I just have to work with them on consistency because they're really afraid. So they don't really want to take that leap or they don't want to, they don't believe I'm, that's another thing about my book title is like, I'm about counterintuitiveness. So counterintuitive, like secrets to parenting without giving a fuck. Well, letting go to gain, right? So how does letting go, taking that leap, they're just so afraid. They don't believe it's going to work. So when they're working with me, we, we show how over time that, that it really works and it's beautiful. And that's the dad who came up with my title. He's a single dad. And he goes, he gave me a quote. I can't remember, but it was something to the point, like when I did what I thought would never work is when the magic happened, you know? Wow. Um, so yes, yes, it's never too late. So all of this experience that you've described, the, is this happening in the context of a kind of social milieu where there's church life and base life and families of similar sorts of frameworks? What, what's the context for how this all evolved for you? Uh, well, we are, you know, we weren't real active churchgoers, although we are both Catholic and the kids did go to a Catholic high school. So their faith is involved. However, faith is really more involved in my, in the spiritual talk that I do and the connection to self and the connection to intuitiveness, which we all have and it needs to be cultivated. So that's because I'm about accountability. Whereas I don't want to always have to go to an event or a place to find that. I want to be able to find it here. So, um, however, Again, you know, I keep referring to the book, but I have a chapter on your greatest power. And really what that is, is that you're only in charge of you. So I take that mentality and say, I'm only in charge of the culture in my home. So regardless of the fact that four kids had multitudes of friends from every socioeconomic, every religion, we had a lot of Mormons here. We had other Catholics. We had, you know, people who don't believe we had, I can't control what's going on out there. And I can't control who my friends hang out with. Um, and honestly, some of the more spicy kids created more opportunity for conversation, which I did not get involved with those friends. I didn't say you can't see them. So I can't control what's going on out here, but I can't control here. So 
um, meaning control here means what we talk about, how we view others. Um, I very much took a leadership role in the way they were raised. So I don't put much faith and stock into what other people are doing, what other people are saying and how they're running their life, because I don't need that. What we're going to do here is we're going to talk about our own spirituality. We're going to talk about leadership. We're going to talk about, you know, to some degree, almost all my kids were bullied at some point. I was bullied. My husband was bullied. Like, and I always tell them like the brightest light lights tend to be targeted. So I, you know, hurt kids hurt. Mm-hmm. And there are more hurt kids out there now than ever before. And so if you're just finding a nine, 10, 11, 12 year old child hurting others, they're being hurt. And we came to it from a point of understanding and grace. So I created that in my home. I did not look outside to other families, to churches, to religion, to anything else to provide that. When the kids came home with a problem, whatever, we talked about it like that. We did have family meetings and my husband and I could, you know, add our two cents and share our experiences and things like that. But again, if you're coming back to your own spirituality and your own, your own light, I think there's importance there. With a bully, do you think there's credence to the bully has accountability? And if they're bullying you, you can put them out. Or um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I believe both, both sides. Um, there is a time and a place to knock them on their, on their back and go like, Hey, you know, that's sometimes that's the only thing they understand. Um, but then I also come at it from a point of like, is what could possibly be going on in their, in their home? Um, and is there a way to chat or show this person grace? Like where, where I, I, I can buy into both scenarios. I can buy into sometimes people just need to be shown, Hey, I'm not putting up with your crap because you're just a brat or, um, and I'll, you know, yesterday my, my mentor session turned out, I, my, her son got punched by a girl <laughs> and, um, I said, well, what, why don't you ask your son what he thinks is happening in her life? Well, she got back to me this morning and said, the girl that punched him's dad overdosed on fentanyl. Mm. So this is what this, so, so, cause she was like, I'm pressing charges. But I said, let's just, let's, let's, again, I have another thing in the chapter about decision making. How do we look at a decision and apply 360 degree thinking? Let's look at all facets. And even if they're uncomfortable facets, you're allowed to be angry, but let's say what else is going on. Could this girl need some grace right now? And then you know, she's already dealing with this. She's 13. <laughs> no one at 13 is thinking right. to punch a guy, right? Right. Um, or, or should be dealing with a father who's overdosing exactly. fentanyl. So does right. she need to have charges put again? Right. Probably not. But, um, I'm, I'm all for starting with grace. And if it ends up that, you know, guy to guy, we need to go on the playground and fight. I don't know. I mean, you know, I'm open to ideas and basically I kind of try to instill the thought process into the kids and then ultimately let them decide as to how do you think this should play out? That's, that's the, 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 you know, splitting the hair that needs to happen as a parent. I need to invest in you and give you some thought and wisdom, but then you get to choose. And they usually know. So with this story you just mentioned that occurred yesterday, is that your guidance for her was let your son be the ultimate decision maker in this scenario? 
Well, you know, actually, instead of having him come home, say he was punched by the girl, the school isn't really doing anything about it. Um, they won't meet with her as the mom of the kid who got punched. They won't meet with her. She's furious. She's fuming. She wants to go after this girl. I'm like, okay, I'm validating how you feel, of course. But let's consider <laughs> hurt people hurt. What might she be going? So I kind of challenged her to go back to her son and have him fill in some of the space. And she was blown away because a lot of times, again, as parents, we start to hold on to control and we thought we need to tell you what to do, but we don't give you the respect of thinking that you, um, the kid might already have some insights and we shut that down. Um, and with teens, they love being asked their opinion. They love to be asked to be filling in the blanks. And she went back last night. I told, I said, tell him he's a bright light. When you're being bullied, a lot of times you're the brightest light. He's showed incredible restraint. He's a leader. Fill him with that, that he didn't hit her back. I said, and then ask him what he thinks is going on in her life. Well, wow. You know, wow. He already knew this, but you know what? She didn't know he knew this because she never asked. She just was so busy bowing up and being like, you know, I'm going after her. We're calling the police, you know, and the kid's just going to go with what the parent, he doesn't know he's not being asked. So let's kind of take a minute. See, you know, let's, let's fill in all the blanks and see where this leads us. Human curiosity has some real magic to it. Yeah, Mm. it really does. It does. You're so right. Yep. Um, How did, well, how did you gain this state of grace? Because you mentioned that the early parts of you being a new mom, you were prone to yelling and like, Hey, my way or the highway. And how, because those of us with the most to learn (laughs) have really, really, you know, that we, 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 Take it to the next level pretty quick. It turns out, I mean, if I were to say, answer that question from my more spiritual point of view is that, you know, the universe knows what I needed. Um, I, I was given four kids for a reason and I have this innate ability and I do have wisdom beyond my years and I always have. And now being given these children gave me a chance to really use it and put it to the forefront. And I mean, I, sometimes I just can't, I mean, I can't take credit for like, this just it's who I am in this life. It's who I am. It, and then it brought it out. Uh, therefore I do feel called and compelled to be able to share with others and to help them so that if they're going through a tough time and I feel so good about what happened yesterday, you know, to get a call this morning and a voicemail or wow, you know, my relationship, she even said, you know, I had a good relationship with my son, but now I took it to the, you've taken me to the next level. That's all I need, you know. You know, just and what comes to mind is four individuals were just raised: yourself, this Mm -hmm. young boy, the young girl who hit him, and the Mm -hmm. mother. Right, right, right. And so I don't know where she'll go with it, but I said, okay, again, I'm a big believer, like, well, I'm only in control of me and how I think and what I do. So if the school's not going to meet with you, what can you do productively? Ask your son, son. The principals canceled three meetings. Um, what do you think would be helpful? Would it be helpful to have just a, a mom loving conversation with her and say, listen, you know, ask him, he's going to know, or he may go, mom, let it go. In which case she should. Right. Right. Absolutely. 
And I think that's where I personally am challenged so much, where all my energy is like, do this. And the person who's really affected saying no and to mm-hmm, pull mm-hmm. back is a real strong. And when you're a parent to a 14 year old boy who's being asked his opinion, asked for his insights and being encouraged to make his own decision that you will support. You tell me you're going to have behavior problems from that kid. No, you're not. Yeah. You're not. This is a kid who's going to come back and tell his mom even more, trust her, show up at curfew on time and do all of the things that she needs to support her as a single mom. Um, so that's why I just love the teenage years, you know, because there's you, you, you get gold pretty quickly, even if you hadn't built that relationship. It's it's super rewarding. I'd like to broaden the conversation a little bit. Are you guys up for that? Sure. So I have this theory that America as a cultural being is experiencing a extended adolescence. And I feel so much wisdom coming from you right now that I'm, I'm asking this question from a, a real place of, do you agree with that? And then what are your thoughts on perhaps becoming a public servant and, and being helping us reshape <laughs> this culture? I, <laughs> oh boy, it's funny. Question one, are we in a post adolescent hangover as a culture? Question two, do you are you the one who should be president? <laughs> <laughs> My husband should be president. Um he's 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 very well suited. Uh but um you know, I, I are we experiencing an adolescence? I think you know, I don't know if I'd put it in that term, but I do think that gener- several generations now have not been getting their emotional needs met. And how does that manifest? It manifests in tantrums. It manifests in divisiveness. It manifests in a lack of, you know, collaboration and coming to the table. It manifests in us not letting go of our opinions because we don't have the confidence to seek differing opinions. Is that adolescence? Sure. Um, but it's just, it's attaching meaning to stuff that doesn't need to have meaning attached to it. Why are you hearing an opinion and taking it personally? That's a reflection of you and you are doing this. You know, these generations are doing this because early on, they did not get somebody showing them that life does not revolve around that tantrum and that, you know, society collectively is not meant to pick up the pieces for you and cater to you. So we've gotten into this hair splitting. Everybody's needs need to be like, it's like, where does that end? It's going to end to the point where it comes full circle. And now all of a sudden everything's neutral and we all just take away what we need to take away. But unfortunately I just have seen even just from the little generation of my own kids and their friends, these poor children have no confidence. They don't believe in themselves or not being made to connect They're, Everything is external being input. So of course, you know, I could make comments about social media and all of this. I'm not anti any of that, but I am about discipline and understanding. And my kids know, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to shut off TikTok for a while. All of these things can be monitored. They don't have to be all or nothing, but understand that you're in charge of it's a, it's a tool. Use it as a tool. And when you're done, don't allow yourself to get sucked in. You know, we can talk about gaming. We can talk about all these things that seem to be the problem of the day, but self-regulation, self-connection, 
that is what we all need. And and fortunately, these I've seen too many kids just not being invested in to learn how that works. So instead of learning who you are and putting that out there, we're taking all this other input and we're bringing it in and it's causing anxiety. Um, it doesn't have to be, you know, it really doesn't have to be, but I don't, I don't get into bashing all of these things. I don't get into bashing whatever, you know, the game, let's just learn to monitor it. Let's just learn as to what it is, understand what it's trying to do to you and you make the choices, right? I think there's a lot of polarity in our culture experienced in single parent households versus full family units. Mm -hmm. And then the idea that somehow the education system is supposed to compensate for the variance. And the breakdown of the American family has been a real, real negative influence on how things are turning out right now. Absolutely. And then the other thing is this uh, penchant that we have for labeling each other as one or the other of any kind of polarity, like, mm-hmm. you know, liberal, conservative, mm-hmm. Democrat, or whatever those labels yeah. are, those create more barriers for us and less grace. And mm-hmm. what my opinion is America could use a lot more grace right now. And that you're an example of how surrender, how letting go of meaning, as you put yes. it so eloquently, could mm-hmm. really soften all of the different dialogues that we're having around some of our social mm-hmm. issues. Yeah. And, you know, attaching meaning and internalizing that is sick, makes you sick. It's, 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 it's cancer causing, it's stress inducing. You're actually harming your own health with that mentality. You know, I would love to just tell people, you know, gosh, get out and breathe some air, you know, walk, walk (laughs) some green grass. And, um, I think if we shore ourselves up and we start looking at things with a flipped way and go, all of these things are input. I should be pissed off about that because why are all these inputs telling me who and what I'm thinking and what I should be thinking? if we take some time to just find out who you are, you know, we're all spiritual beings and it's not about religion. It's not about any of that. It's just about literally, you know, what our gut tells us. And one of the most important things that I think I did as a parent and that I teach parents is to help our kids. What gets you out of bed in the morning and help a child connect to their goals and where they're going to add value I'm constantly saying, well, that, that doesn't add any value. What are we talking about that for? Like, wait, where are you adding value? Um, you know, when our oldest graduated college, he was so grateful that we, we paid for his school. He came home and painted our whole house. And he's like, I just want to do something for you guys. And, um, just if, if parents could just, you know, help a child discover who they were meant to be in this society and in this world and where we can add value instead of just sucking dry and being angry all the time. It's, it's cancer causing. It truly is. And I just, yeah. Um, again, yeah. Not attaching. What do you do with those, those, these many, many broken families and therefore low means families, mm-hmm. how do we help them? You know, I, I, first of all, <laughs> The only way is that they need to know that they want help. So that's why I always come back to my, my centering thought is I'm only in charge of me. I'm not in charge of you because if I don't center myself with that thought, then I'm controlling and I'm putting my message out and thinking everybody needs to do it. So I'm no better than them. So I put my book out. 
I mentor parents, I message however I can. Um, but again, it comes to everybody should be born with a mirror. <laughs> Where's my part in this? What, where did I either add value or where, what is my part in this? If we came to every disagreement to what's my part in this, you know, it would be collaborative. I, I believe, and I'm a businesswoman. If I give and you give, that's how that works. I'm going to give, I'm prepared to give and you're prepared to give. Now we're both winning. I don't need to win at all costs. And I think that's what's going on out there. Um, you talk about the bully, like, yeah, sometimes people do need to just be knocked out. Sometimes people are just assholes and they need to be told, you know, you're just an asshole. Right. Um, yeah, there's a time and a place for that. But for the most part, I think we just need collaboration and um, a meeting in the middle of being prepared to give. From a professional experience, how have you learned to deal with a client who's hired you and just is refuting the information it's like a brick wall. They're just, well, I don't get many of them because they aren't looking for help. Um, I do get people who are suspicious that sometimes the things that we're talking about might not work. Um, what I do find is that we can have an intellectual conversation. Any of us and adults, I can say, okay, well, X, Y, and Z, you know, like start parenting in advance, look for patterns of behavior. We can talk intellectually where the disconnect is, as many people can't really act. They're not, they're not, um, pulling a trigger on what we talked about. So they're not able to be consistent. Um, and that's really a lack of belief in themselves that they don't, they, they want changed behavior, but they, they just aren't at a place of readiness themselves to, accept their part and understand that this change of reaction to their kids' behavior might really work. So I kind of have to maybe help them through that a little bit more, but the, the people that show up and go either have read the book, that's my favorite because then they were talking the same language. Right. Um, but if the people that show up and go, I really just need to do whatever, you know, what I just, what I'm doing is not working and they own their part. Yes. I'm yelling all the time or, uh, okay, great. Now we can make progress. But if you're blaming others, if you're showing up and wanting to work with me and you're blaming your ex is this, and this one's that I'm not going to make much headway because you're still in the blame game. You know, yeah. you can't have your kid take accountability if you're not. It seems like a very diverse energy to have a child whose energies they're going to go act in New York and a child who's a fighter pilot. Mm -hmm. And in my imagination, it seems like it would be hard for those energies to mesh in a graceful family manner. Oh, they're so close. Everybody That's is what I hear. Yeah. Oh, we have a group chat where we have a great time. Lots of fun. Everybody is different and yet supportive and we all show up for everybody, you know, whether it's a graduation, whatever we're flying or getting time off work, we, we understand the value of family. And it gets back to what you were saying, Mark, too, about like the breakdown of family. But again, I, I tend to not want to point fingers. It would be ideal if we were all still in happy families, but we, it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to, we don't have to have all these pre-existing perfect conditions to be a good parent. So what, what we do need to have is people taking accountability 
Well, one of the options that's available to us as a culture is to act more like a family and less like uh, we're in a football game against each other. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, you see examples of people that are really tight with their ex and the ex comes over to fix her flat tire or the the two wives love each other and they've become best friends and the kids are benefiting. Like we have choices every single day. That That's one of the main chapters is our superpowers, our ability to choose. Every single day, we have the ability to choose however we perceive something, however we view, whatever we're going to do or say. That's powerful. Um, so just choose different. Choose not to attach meaning to something. Choose like the power in choice. Choose to just say, you know, I don't have to shut off TikTok. I'm going to watch it for 20 minutes and set an alarm. Choose. You choose. You're empowered to choose. Um so therefore, I'm not against, I'm not about canceling this and canceling that. Everything can coexist. It's you that chooses. That's powerful. Have you ever had personal experience with someone who had um, issues with drugs or alcohol or both possibly? I mean, yes. The, you know, uh, there's, there's certainly children who, and I believe that it's a, a genetic you know, it's passed down. If you've got that trait or you've got that genetic gene that you've got this propensity, um, therefore, you know, we handle it differently. So it's not, it's, it's coming from a place of support. Um, but I mean, that's, I, I can talk to that to a degree, but for the most part that really needs professional assistance. You know, I don't really get involved in that type of, I can help you on the back end, but that child will need professional intervention and help if it's becoming a problem or if it's a scary, violent situation. Um, but yeah, there's certainly a lot of that, sadly. Right. So there's a lot of spiritual disease in our culture. I want to know if you're familiar with something called the course in miracles or a course in miracles. I've, I've heard of it. Um, yeah. Well, I, I, but the editor that I used for my book, I think, is part of that group. She's an intuitive, and um, I, I think, but I, I, Mike, I could be wrong, but it sounds familiar. One of the reasons I bring it up, and both Greg and I have spent a fair amount of time exploring it, is this idea mm-hmm. inherent in it that regardless mm-hmm. of how long it takes, that ultimately human beings will find their way to the mm-hmm. healing And that one of the things that's been present for me in this conversation is how pragmatically you address that process without really getting into hyperbole or any kind of highfalutin sort of, you know, thing. You're just so like, oh, it's really a question of grace and trust. And um, all of these things are reflected in that book. So if you're curious at all, I I recommend you check it out. There's so much of you in it already. Oh, great. So much of all of us. Um, Yeah. And I want to do just, you know, we have generally we ask a question as we get towards the end of the interview. But before we do that, I wanted to know if you're actually able to receive an acknowledgement. Receive an acknowledgement from me. Well, I don't know what you mean by that. Well, I want you to just take a deep breath and <laughs> receive praise. Like oh, from where I sit, oh, yes, yes. Take a compliment. I see a powerful human being who's made a huge impact in the life of her family and in her community. And some of the life you've lived wasn't available to me in my family unit. And I'm, I want to just take a moment and acknowledge what an amazing contribution you've made to the world, just as a mother through your family, but also through the book. 
and through your willingness to be on the show. And the reason I asked permission is because I wanted to see if you could actually let it just land. Yeah, it's landing. I love it. Thank you. I'm absorbing it. And, you know, and I agree with you, um, you know, the second part of the last question you asked me was uh, getting on a higher platform. I would love to, I could see myself standing on a, sitting on a stage, helping, I mean, asking, answering questions, whatever. I, I didn't, I, you know, I self published and I don't have a publisher and I didn't do a book tour and all of that. I do feel that the right audience will find it when it needs to find it. Um, and, uh, I do feel really, I don't know, called that the, the wisdom and the specific information that I have and my way of thinking is of value. And I, but I'm not out peddling it. So I, I feel like it will find me if, and when it needs to. So if someone needs to talk to you about this stuff, how would they get a hold of you? Uh, well, the, on my website, I have a 20 minute free like link that they can go on and just easily go to askmomparenting.com and go to the 20, free 20 minute, which by the way, I've never restricted it to 20 minutes. And then if we connect and whatever goes on, you know, we, we can, we can take it from there, but yeah, I'm, I'm reachable that way. Very Say easily. the website name again, askmomparenting.com. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah. Um, Greg, any more questions or should we deal the final card? I yeah, I'm good. I, I just really appreciate your energy. As Mark said, it's really, it is a beautiful, bright light in our Thank you. I really, I I greatly appreciate that. And like I said, I appreciate the opportunity that you guys give a variety of people to sit on your show and talk life and just your endless curiosity. It's a gift that you guys are putting out there too. So thank you for having me be part of it. So we have one final question. Okay. We We ask all of our guests this question. It's really important to us that you answer honestly. Okay. Eminem or the Foo Fighters? Eminem, all day. I, I never would have got that. I would have just lost my money. Oh Could my you God. say why? Could you say a little bit about why? Oh, I love him. Uh, I, I love rap. I love hard rock. I love, you know... Um, I don't resonate with the Foo Fighters. There's really only one song of theirs that I have on my on my list. Don't ask me the name of it, but it's their more popular one. Um, but Eminem is um, just... He's... I love his rap. I love his storytelling. I love his execution. I like his story of getting discovered, you know, by Dr. Dre and then Dr. Dre taking hits for signing a little punk white kid. Like I love the whole, I love all of that surrounding him and his story. Uh, So, you know, all, you know, middle-aged moms were out there rapping to his music. Like it was, you know, it reached a lot of different, segments of society so i yeah all day <laughs> that's brilliant that that's, a, that's an interesting question why why did you settle on that for the last one for your your viewers or oh your, my your gosh yes. we have no meaning attached to it it just happened <laughs> one because it's a deep it, there's no real right answer yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and yeah, it's not really a litmus test, but it's mm-hmm. another. It's the problem. It's another layer of depth mm-hmm. in what people are like, what aspects of their life is informed by their musical choice. Yeah. Well, I would yeah. say too, because it's sort of obtuse. 
like I never would have associated Eminem with you. So just yeah, yeah, yeah. It's random. It's really random, right? So it does open up a window to something that we just yeah. wouldn't think to. It know. helps us break down our preconceived notions of what we think people like. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I was kind of like, wait, why would you connect Foo Fighters? Why would you give me just those two choices? Like, why will are two interesting choices in and of themselves? Like, you know, would you have gone country like Garth Brooks? Or like, wait, I'm surprised. That- well, obviously, it's more relevant to us because it, to both of those That's artists true. are really relevant to Greg and I's musical okay. experience in life, and we love both of them. Uh-huh. I mean, I'm speaking for Greg in this, but I'm pretty sure we love both of them. And there's a humor to the Foo Fighters, especially those early videos where they don't take themselves so seriously. Uh-huh. But at the same time, their their level of being rockers. Is just so on point. And- well, the thing that I like about them is I'm Dave Grohl is super um, relatable, and he I love that he has kids come up and play on the stage. Like he's just a dad, a, a good man. He's a good man. He's a husband and a dad, and he leans into that. There's a lot of good there, but their music doesn't resonate with me. You know, like I could say Eminem does, and um, my favorite all time, which has been on my ringtone for probably 20 years, is Day. That's my favorite. Um, She's that's... coming out with a new album, I hear. No. <gasps> yes, they, really? Yeah, there's, a, there's been rumors that she's about to wrap it up. If she does a tour, don't even don't. I'll be I'll be there. Yeah, move over. Open. Shana, move over. Move over, Taylor. Yeah, move over, yeah. Beyonce. Here comes Chardé. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's. She's been on my ringtone. My kids. I mean, she's just you know timeless, classy. Just uh, yeah, everything. That's yeah. that. That. One thing I admire about the Dave Grohl story, which is about parenting, is he was raised by a single mom. And I think he was 15 or 16. He said to her, Mom, I'm dropping out of high school and I'm going to go tour with this punk band. Hmm. And she was like, from what I've heard, I believe they had a conversation, but it concluded with her blessing him. Like, okay, go for it. And look at at how successful and in his element he is right you know and that's what it takes because how much how much control do parents exert to where it really impedes the progress of their child until they get to the point where they're their own parent now they go oh well you know here's what i went through like why waste this time just get on board with your kid give some support give some guidance you know that's the most important thing. So well, the M&M story seems a little bit opposite. Like his, his mom was more of a uh, difficult experience for him, but that informs how he treats his daughter. And so there's a a positive parenting story there as well. He's really, really protective of her. And yes, isn't that great? So isn't that interesting how exactly you're right. The parenting there, how would you assume that a guy that had such a difficult upbringing, would lean into the role of a parent as much as he, and not only his daughter, but he took on his ex-wife's child from another man. And I guess some other friend's child. I mean, he, he, if, if a child was in his sphere, he was embracing that child and giving it a good life. Like how does that happen from a guy who came from what he came from, you know, and how he took on the relationship with his brother just so unselfish and so giving and loving. It, it's remarkable. That's a great example. You're right. 
So here's my thought on the answer to that question. The reason why is that there's a moment in a human being's perspective on their situation where they decide to become the cause and not the effect. And that when you reach that point, it doesn't really matter your circumstances. Yeah, it does impact you. But ultimately, being at cause for how things turn out is the significant div- divination, the significant reason things shift. And you, especially in our culture and in, you know, the land of the free, in air quotes, that's even more present. That if you set your sights on it and you're willing to put in the work, then you can achieve it. Yeah. And yeah. M wanted to be a good man. He, you know, he came from a tough spot, but he was relentless in his pursuit. He went to therapy. He took drugs to like therapeutic drugs is what I mean. Right. He, he didn't, he, he also did all, I'm sure all kinds of horrible things that we don't, I don't of have course, access. Yeah. And, but at the end of the day, you're right. Look at the cause. And, you know, he, he tried to remarry the, the, his wife a couple of times. Obviously there's love there. It didn't work out. But again, that's another time where we're like, we're not attaching meaning we, we have a child who needs us to be behave like adults. And I'm going to take that role on. Um, it's a beautiful thing. And that's why I'm saying like when earlier conversations, it doesn't matter Rich, poor, whatever your situation is, there's always a chance for you to look in the mirror and be accountable and make the right decisions and be the, the, the positive in someone's life and make a difference in someone's life. You always have a chance to read and to, you know, instill knowledge in your life and to act differently every single day, every single moment of every single day, we are making choices. And that I find to be our superpower. I find that to be the most empowering illuminating thing as our freedom of choice. So that's just super empowering. I think mic drop recording stopped.